Hello and welcome to the Dev Chambier podcast. My name's Sean and joining me as always is the one and only Dante Boff, Mr. Boff, my man. How are we? I'm absolutely hectic, Sean. How are you? I am splendid. I am splendid. Episode 101. Uh, we've started the decade again. We've started the decade counter. And uh, yeah, good. If you haven't if you haven't listened to episode 100, I'll definitely recommend it. It is uh, quite funny and we are all quite tired by the end of it. But that's all right, Dante. Here's to another 100. Here's to another hundred, and you know what? It's only you only get to do your hundred and first episode of your podcast once. So I say we really go out there and you know seize this episode, Sean, and really make it what we want it to be. Give the people what they want. Give the people what they need. Um, there's a little Easter egg for the people who are going to be going to the Deep Two trivia next week. That's not a thing. That's, that's not <laughs> at all. Um, obviously, trade season is behind us, but despite that, it is a great time to be a basketball fan. <laughs> Oh, well, is that, actually, is that I, the, I, the seventh episode in a row? Like, are we contractually obliged <laughs> to say that at this point? I, I'm actually going to stop saying that. It's it's not a very funny joke anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, I got to stop saying that. But it I, is... I actually like it. I think it is funny. Uh, yeah, put that on a shirt and sell. Yeah, it. maybe when we look in, maybe when we look into merch, we can do. It's a great time to be a basketball fan. Yeah, I reckon there's funnier things to say. Like, yeah. We're well, too funny, guys. We'll we'll think of something. Yeah, which, yeah, we'll we'll hit the noggins. Um, a lot of stuff happening. It is uh, it's interesting. You know, there's something we might touch on a little bit later. Is James Harden for MVP? Because he's certainly putting together a case. Because the Lakers are just sort of destroyed at the moment. And I don't know if Andre Drummond makes up for missing LeBron and Anthony Davis. There are the Bucks look well. The the Clippers look good. There's there's all these teams, but um. A lot of stuff going on and a lot of New York, Atlanta, Charlotte movement in the middle of the East. And then a lot of a lot of teams from that, like 11 or 10 through through six range in the West. And I reckon a lot of that you can point towards the play-in, the play-in being a boon and, and helping these teams go in and push in. And Dante, what are we going to be talking about today? Well, I, I believe that each of us has come with kind of two talking points of what we're looking for or interested in the next, you know, two or three months to the end of the season leading into the postseason. Uh, so if, if you don't mind, I'd like to kick us off with one of my things that I'm looking for. No, I'd love to. I totally wasn't ready to go first. Go ahead, Dante. <laughs> I, I want to have a conversation and I say conversation rather than, you know, pontificating about, I believe this is true, but I want to have a conversation around Ben Simmons defensive player of the year candidacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, obviously everyone knows he's one of the best defensive players in the league. That's nothing new. He's been an all defensive player. I think each of the last two years, um, he's con- consistently ranks in the top five or six in terms of matchup versatility, uh, in terms of the positions that he guards. So he can, you know, one of the few guys in the league who can actually realistically guard one through five and does on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. The thing that sets him aside from everybody else on those lists is a lot of the people, you know, who kind of have quite high matchup versatility might be someone like a, a Jay Crowder. And I'm pretty sure we're playing the Bulls tomorrow. So Jay Crowder, very versatile defender. He could defend a point guard in Sadoransky. He could defend Levine. You could throw him on the post against Thad Young and you'd say, amazing, this guy's so versatile. But Ben Simmons is defending Chris Paul. He's defending Kawhi Leonard. You, you know, if you get switched onto Jokic in the post, it's not a disaster. ETC, ETC. Mm. Um, 
And I did some digging, Sean. And do you mm. know what the numbers told me? About how good Ben Simmons is on defense? Well, about his specific case for winning this award this what, year. What did they tell you, Dante? <laughs> Since Joel Embiid has been out, the 76ers have the best defense in the league. Hmm. That's They're not giving bad. up 103.4 points per 100 possessions in non-garbage time minutes. This is from cleaning the glass, as always. Uh, versus 110, which was good for sixth with Embiid, which is still great. But obviously, you lose a dude who was widely considered to be the crux of the defense. Mm. And not only do you keep winning because they're 8-2 and two in their last 10 games and they're still the best team in the East by record, uh, holding off the nets the whole time that he's been out. But your D gets even better. And Simmons' individual numbers in terms of on-off don't really paint you know the same picture as these numbers. But the credit has to go somewhere. And I'm not going to give it to Matisse Tybal or Danny Green for Boy, the reason yeah. why. Yeah, for the reason why they've managed to, you know, maintain this um, you know, this this amazing performance without their, in theory, their best defensive player. And I'm just kind of like, all right, like, are we going to take this seriously? That that this dude isn't just a all defensive team candidate, but that he actually could be, you know, one of the first non <clears throat> non bigs in years, you know, since Kawhi to to win it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, no, it's. I think the biggest problem with that with that point is that Joel Embiid is going to come back, and you know. Doc Rivers said yesterday that he was hoping that Joel Embiid was going to come back later in the week. Obviously, you have to wrap him in bubble wrap like three times over. So let's just say he comes back in two weeks. I think the team is just different uh, regardless of how good Ben Simmons is. The team is just completely different with Ben Simmons uh, playing next to Joel Embiid as opposed to Ben Simmons as the guy who it's like, oh, there's Dwight Howard. Like, yeah, he's a fine defender in his own right, but you don't have to like base everything around him. With Joel Embiid, because he's going to be playing 35 minutes plus, that's a lot of time where he's on the court. And it's like, we're not going to get the most out of our minutes if we've got Joel Embiid in the court, but we're really going to prioritize Ben Simmons being the dude, switching one through five, getting out and everything, just being a disturbance. So like when Joel does come back, are you going to go back to this sort of like, defensive beta in Ben Simmons, which might knock down his candidacy. Not so, no, I'm not saying that he doesn't deserve it, but I think like if if we had a whole season with no Joel Embiid, we would probably be saying this a lot more than we would right now. And we're lucky that we get to see these couple of weeks where he is like the defensive player. And it is interesting seeing a non-big guy be like the head of defense. But I just don't think by the time Joel, Joel Embiid comes back, um, I don't think there's enough runway for him to like get up there and get off, especially if Giannis is going to close the season as strong as he looks like he is. Well, I guess I had two counterpoints to that. The first being, what if that's the, long, the wrong way to look at it as Simmons stepping up when Embiid's been out and you're actually, you know, credit has been given to Embiid this season when it should have been given to Simmons. Yeah. Um, and in terms of, you know, in terms of narrative, like if, if you apply a similar narrative that you use for the MVP, for example, yeah. if, and we, we, we see this all the time, like, so I'll take this year for an example. If LeBron gets injured and the Lakers all of a sudden are an average to below average team, which has happened, 
and they kind of slip down the standings. And then LeBron comes back, and for the last 30 games of the season, he averages 30, 10, and 10, and the Lakers end up being the two seed. He'll win the MVP because you have seen what he means to the team when he's not on the floor. Um, with, with Philadelphia, um, isn't there this kind of narrative that like, wow, Simmons really stepped up when the team needed him most. And outside of that, like when Embiid's on the floor, if they end up being the fifth or sixth best defense, which they have been all season, that's still really good, right? That's Mm -hmm. still within the range where you could consider giving a player from the sixth best defense, the defensive player of the year. But there's this one bit where he single-handedly, I know he hasn't been single-handed, but, you know, for narrative sake, kept them afloat and did better. He advanced their defense and it was so good. Like people are going to remember this three, three and a half week stretch. Hmm. Um, and especially when the nets have been clicking into gear and everyone suspected that Philadelphia would just fall away and they've actually held the nets off and they're still on top of the East all without Embiid. Um, and they've been doing it wholly on the strength of their defense because their offense without Embiid has been terrible because Embiid <laughs> is one of the five Embiid best offensive Embiid. players in the league this year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just think that you could really easily frame it in a way that like Simmons stepped up when his co-star was down and really kind of put the team on his back through this stretch. And, and then on the, the outskirts of that, you know, if you've got three months with being the sixth best defense, three weeks with being the best defense by far, like, and it's, 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 it's by so much the, the best defense on the season is the Lakers at 106.8 points per 100 possession. And they were three yeah. and a half points less than that. So it's it's the best day that we've seen any team play all season whilst Embiid's been out. And then you kind of throw in the matchup versatility. He's always defending the other dude, the other team's best guard or best forward. Uh, and I, I did kind of do a bit more defensive digging. And in terms of defensive win shares and defensive box plus minus, they're about the same, him and Embiid. Yep. Um, and I, I don't know what, what, what do you think about, you know, about his, his, his chances to legitimately win this award The for what it's worth NBA.com's defensive player of the year ladder currently has him third behind miles Turner and yeah. Rudy Gobert at number one. Also just, just a little side note. I don't know why NBA.com, it seems like this year is the first year that they start tracking rankings. Like they're tracking the awards rankings. No, nah, they've been doing that for years, man. But what? Why? What's the point of doing? It? I feel like it's more prevalent this year. Are you? Do you feel like you're seeing it more? Because I feel like I'm seeing it more. When I first, when I first got into basketball at the start of the last decade, uh, the MVP and the Rookie of the Year ladder were were huge, huge things, and they were done by Siku Smith, the late Siku Smith at NBA.com. Um, I don't think I ever saw them for defensive player of the year back then, but it was a hundred percent something that like 13, 14 year old me was, was reading, um, you know, like 2014 when Joachim Noah, like elbows his way into third spot on the, on the MVP ladder during the middle of the season. I was like, Oh my God, this is the best. Have we, Um, are we going to remember a third spot more than Joachim Noah's one third spot? uh, Blake Griffin that year. That jo- one, Joker yeah. Joker Noah's a little bit sexier than that. <laughs> yeah, well, Joker Noah's kind of like, like I feel like you remember it purely because he's not as memorable. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. In, and in he's the sense never going to get that close again. Yeah, he's never going to get that close again. 
Uh, and and full full credit to him. He's one of my all time favorite players. I literally love that dude so much. Um, all right. Well, well, back back to Ben Simmons. Like, yeah, I, I've looked at his numbers as well. When you said you were going to be talking about this, um, I was like, look, you can't really judge Ben Simmons the way you would judge like a traditional defensive center, and that's why I love comparing defensive centers because they're so easy to compare. It's like, all right, how good? How much do you stop your opponent from shooting at the ring? Um, and how how much does your opponent shoot less at the ring when you're there? That's like a really base level way to look at it. Then you can look at how they are on and off the team, and then you can look at whether like what sort of scheme they're playing. If they're playing a drop or they're trying to hedge and so on and so on. It's a lot harder with Ben Simmons. So I'm not going to point at those traditional statistics because like they're good, they're all over the place. But then you also don't expect him to be like that rim protector. He's obviously the dude who's going to switch. You're comfortable with him one through four. I just I. The only pause I would have is that when did the Joel Embiid injury happen? Just before the All Star break, yeah. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was a little bit over three weeks ago. They've played. If you excuse Golden State, who are playing without Steph Curry, and you excuse two games against the Knicks, where they're not the traditional fifth seed, and you excuse the Lakers, who are missing AD and LeBron, they haven't had the toughest stretch of games. And yes, they've gone, what, eight and two in their past 10, and and they're playing really, really well. And it's like, it's awesome that they're keeping afloat without Joel Embiid, but it has been an easier schedule with like some Sacramento, some San Antonio's. And like, there are, there's there's one game against the Bucks where obviously Giannis hit that crazy shot and then sat down on the ground, which was like a freaky, weird, cool celebration. The, the only pause I would give it is the strength of schedule, which goes back to my point before where it's like, okay, uh, let's just see him do it for the rest of the year. And I completely believe that he can, um, but I, I want to see it for the rest of the year and I want to see it against some better competition. Yeah, that's that's fair. Uh, but you can only play... <laughs> who's in front of you. Who's in front of you. And I mean, we could, you know, like if you're looking at the other candidates, I think... At this point, it's the three who I mentioned before are kind of like in that, you know, um, in the running. And and Gobert, you know, I'm not going to make the case for against Gobert because everyone knows what the case is. The Jazz are really good. He's the fulcrum. They build their scheme around him. He's a really good shot blocker, great interior defender, good defensive rebounder. That's the case. So on that Turner, you know, his team's... 11th right now and 18th his, in the past two weeks. <laughs> Yeah, so his team is playing cupcake schedules and like losing, and he's on the floor, and the you know they're eighteenth or they're eleventh, you know, for the season. So I think that's a disqualifier. Um, personally, I know that obviously it's it's a team thing, but looking at at Indiana, it's not like he is playing with you know like turnstiles on the perimeter and has that's why he has to do all this cleaning up inside even with Rudy Gobert it's not like Donovan Mitchell and and like Joe Ingles is a little bit and then Boyan Bogdanovich and, and old Mike Conley it's not like these guys are crazy stoppers as well yeah yeah uh I, I I don't know I just think potentially with potentially in terms of like the ability for an individual player to have an impact on on the game, obviously the shot blockers inside have a huge impact. And when you look at the advanced numbers, like what people are shooting against Turner and Gobert inside, like it drops precipitously, but you just don't have the ability as an interior defender to kind of like go up against the best Mm. unless you're a really good post defender. And we've seen what happens to Gobert against Embiid and Jokic. And 
you know, if you like getting 50 points dropped on your or 48 points dropped on your defensive player of the year or, you know, yeah. Joel Embiid regularly eating up Turner. Whereas when Simmons gets a block, it's on Kawhi Leonard or it's on Zach Levine, you know? Hmm. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I don't know that, I, <laughs> that I'm prepared to fully buy into this, this argument because I think, you know, Gobert probably is a defensive player of the year for ended today. But it's an interesting thought experiment because even you know even when Kawhi was was winning back to backs in the middle of the middle of um you know last decade, uh yeah it it didn't feel like I don't know Ben Simmons Ben Simmons candidacy feels different to that you know because he's yeah, just yeah. such a hard player to pigeonhole and figure out exactly what he does and you feel like sometimes the stats don't accurately quantify what he's doing. Whereas like with Kawhi, it was like, Oh, okay. Like the dude got two steals a game. No stress. The Spurs were the fourth best defense or whatever. Like there's like, there's the case. Cool. I'm watching it. I know he looks great. Numbers back it up. There you go. Ironclad, you know, with Simmons, it's not quite as cut and dry. Yeah. And and just to finish up your discussion, like obviously we'll keep a tap on this for the rest of the season, but it's, it would be so interesting to see Ben Simmons on a team that isn't Philadelphia. Obviously, he's drafted the process, that whole thing, and he has to play next to a center just because that's that's where he is. Can you imagine him where he was the tallest dude on the court and he was playing the PJ Tucker role and he was just like, they just said, look, you know, where we don't care about winning, let's just try and see what this dude looks like in different lineups and just threw him out there as the PJ Tucker type or maybe even a four next to a more mobile center like it would be interesting and we're probably not going to see it for at least four years, but it well, would be we, we kind of have seen it though yeah. in, in fits and starts. Simmons career high 44 came against the jazz this year when NBA was out. He missed like two or three games. He was so aggressive in that first quarter. And that he just crazy. went, yeah, he went at, he went at Gobert every time. Or did he go um, at Donovan Mitchell because of the whole rookie thing? Some beefs will never be laid to rest. Um, <laughs> But then even, you know, throwing it back a few years, the first year that the Sixers made the playoffs, um, I believe it might have even been when he was a rookie. Mm. Uh, they finished the game, they finished the season on a 16, 16 and 0 run. And mm. that was, it must have been 2018, 19, but that was when Markel Fultz elbowed Joel Embiid in the face and yeah, like yeah, broke yeah. his eye socket. And so Embiid missed like 12 games straight and they won all of them with Simmons as, you know, we talk about it all the time with these six, six, eight, six, nine, six, ten dudes, like play him as Clippers, Blake Griffin on the short roll and let them play make from the elbow or get them, you know, ahead of steam going to the basket with the ball. Yeah. Um, but we, we kind of have seen it and it has been really good, uh, you know, in the few games, this year um, before NBA went out when he just kind of missed, you know, um, here and there. And then they're eight and two, like their offense has sucked since <laughs> NBA has been out. But well, um, that's probably what would happen if we had him in the PJ Tucker role. Like, yeah, if PJ Tucker is your best offensive player as well, it's probably going to happen. <laughs> well, he would never be in the PJ Tucker role nah, because you know what I mean? You, oh, you oh. Know, um, yeah. He's, he's such an interesting player. Uh, regardless, if he's not the defensive player of the year, he's the the first non-center name on the all defensive team. So, mm. all right, well, let's move on to my point, uh, and I want to talk at the, talk about the Warriors, shock and awe. But Dante, I'll ask you firstly: when you heard the news that Clay Thompson was going to be out with a serious injury on draft night, is this what you envisioned this Warriors team to be? What you're seeing right now? 
I don't know if I kind of thought really fully about what the team would be like more, more so than what Steph would, would look like. And Steph has been exactly what I thought he would be. And he's playing as well as he did, you know, in, in his peak um, four or five years ago in those championship seasons. Mm. But I, I guess we're kind of saying the limitations that one player whose name isn't LeBron can have on a, an otherwise like limited roster because yeah. they've got no consistent center play. I mean, you, you mentioned, we, we've talked a bit about big Jim and his struggles this year. You mentioned last year that Looney Looney moves like he's one of these like 1960s players who's been playing in low top yeah, converse yeah. for 12 years. Like he's, he moved like his knees are like tearing <laughs> apart. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's, it's sad to see. And Wiggins has been, Wiggins has been good. Um, and Ubre has been okay, inconsistent. And then other than that, like who, like who's on the team? Yeah, I know. And, and that's what I want to say. Like this, we talked about it with Will a couple of weeks ago and I've said this to you in, in private private's not the right word, but it's like, look, <laughs> I, I'm happy for the Golden State Warriors to just be mediocre for the next couple of seasons. As long as you can send off Steph Curry, send off Clay Thompson and to a lesser extent, Draymond Green. Um, but you can send off all these dudes and be like, all right, you've won your championships. And whether you go down that KG Paul Pierce route where it's like, okay, you guys are bad. Oh, here's an opportunity. Let's trade them. I would much rather just keep them on there and just say, all right, say la vie. And everything that's been coming out of the Warriors front office is, yes, they just want to put a team around Steph and sort of thank him for his service, right? It's so wholesome. But like the Warriors are the 10 seed right now and would have to win two games in a play-in. One against, well, is it the, you have to beat your bottom seed and then you have to verse the loser of. So they would have to beat right now Memphis and then verse the loser of Dallas and San Antonio, right? Like, Tough games to win, um, and if you want to project it out, let's not project it out. Like this is this is not the best place to be. Where I envision them to be is because Steph Curry is so good. Is I envision them to be just above that play in the six seed. I actually predicted it when we did the um, season predictions and over unders, and it's like that's fine. Steph Curry is very good, and what's happened is Steph Curry is very very good at basketball. I probably should have got his numbers up before we started doing the pod, but Steph Curry is averaging similar numbers to his MVP year. This season, he's averaging 29.1, uh, 6.2 assists, shooting 47, 41, and 92 from the free throw line. But like, other than that, you've got Big Jim, who is 19 years old and shouldn't be good at basketball, and he's not good at basketball. But because Marquise Chris is out for the season and then traded to San Antonio and now just walking around the street, apparently, Kevon Looney doesn't look like himself at all. You've got all this pressure on Big Jim to be like the best center on the team. And that's just a recipe for disaster. Like, I think he can be really good, um, the lumbering lefty, but I don't think he's very good right now. And, and that's fine. Draymond Green has completely lost his shot and like, there's no sort of like we're, we're looking just like the Warriors did in 2014 where it's like, okay, we've got Steph Curry. Who's really good. He's on off is incredible. Let's try and fix that off. Let's try and sign a backup point guard like Leandro Barbosa and Sean Livingston. And we tried to do it with Brad Wanamaker who like, I was shocked at how bad Brad Wanamaker has been um, that like, yes, he just got traded to Charlotte and then waved or I don't, I don't even know if he was playing. Is he still playing for Charlotte? He, he played. Yeah, he played. So like, it's they just got rid of him as a salary dump. I think they traded him for cash, and it's yeah. like they they got, paid they paid as well. They've got like, Nico like Manning. They on. paid to get rid of him. <laughs> 
they've got Nico Mannion playing playing backup point guard, which is like again a wholesome story. I wish the Warriors would stop showing Nico Mannion's dad whenever whenever he touches the courts. Like I get it, he's got a fucking father. Like <laughs> <laughs> most people do, yeah. Um, and it's like we're really grasping at straws now, where it's like you've gotten rid of Wanamaker. Steph Curry's on and off is still really bad. This is like. A, we're trying to win and we could be in danger of not even making the play in. And look, I'll just read you some numbers. So the Golden State Warriors are 23rd on offense this season, which I am very shocked. I thought that would at least be like one of the better teams on offense. They've got an 109 offensive rating per cleaning the glass. And when Steph Curry is on the court, they jump up by 16.2 points. So obviously we know that Dallas had the the best offense in history last year, which was once, what was it like 113 or 114? No, it was like 117. 117. So then when Steph Curry's on the court, they are, let me do some quick maths, uh, better than that. <laughs> <laughs> they are nine points better than what Dallas was last season. Nine points do, better. Do you, what? So their, their number is 127. 125. 126. 125. Fucking hell. <laughs> Uh, that is that is the best in the whole entire league in terms of on-off for offense, as you might imagine. He's two points better than the second-place Nikola Jokic. Uh, and obviously, when he sits, we go under 100 points per, per 100 possessions, and it is just it is it is a disaster. And like I don't I don't know what to do. Like we didn't do anything at the deadline. Jordan Poole seems like a quote deadline pickup. Like he's suddenly been playing well for the past two weeks, but you can't play him and Steph together because neither of them can guard big wings. And there's likely to be a big wing if you're playing two point guards. And it's like, what do you do? Like this, it's such a shame that Clay got injured, but how do you go from here? How do you get better from here other than just crossing your fingers that Poole, Mannion and Big Jim get better throughout the season? By the way, Big Jim has is having like the worst. His his month of March was the worst month of <laughs> his basketball I'd seen. Like he was playing better in January and December than he was in March. He he might be the worst starting center in the league. I don't think that that's too. And you know, and this is in hard. a league with uh, think of someone funny. Um, <laughs> who's <laughs> there? Actually, isn't a worst center. There actually is not a worst. Yeah, holy crap! Sam Whiteside's not starting anymore. It's yeah, Mason Plumlee starting. Um. Yeah, what do you do? What's the fix here, Dante? Well, I mean, things will be better when Clay is back. If Clay mm-hmm. comes back, let's just for the for the purposes of this experiment, let's just you know say that Clay is going to come back and be Clay. Not going to like eighty percent of Clay. Let's just even say like he's Clay because this team needs him to be <laughs> Clay. Like if he comes back eighty percent of Clay, like there's there's problems. Um. It starts with kind of acknowledging that it's no longer is no longer a big three because whatever the fuck is going on with Draymond, I don't I don't fully know. You probably you watch it, you know, watch him more on a game to game basis, but he's averaging the second lowest the third lowest points of his career, the lowest since 2013, 14 when he played 20 minutes a game. Mm. He can't shoot, he doesn't look for his shot, and you know, great. Yeah, yeah. You're averaging eight and a half assists. You're the, you know, one of the best passing bigs that the league has seen. Like, congratulations. Playoff teams don't have high usage players that average eight points, that average six they points. Point. Sorry, start. You know, starting for them and playing 
30 to 35 minutes a game. Like it just doesn't happen. Like, mm. you know, like you, you literally never, ever, ever see players with the ball that much. And even going back, you know, 15 years, the only person averaging four points a game was like Ben Wallace. And Ben Wallace was like, you know, 17 time defensive player of the year. So it's like, whatever. Um, it's, it's a huge problem. And he doesn't look, yeah, he just doesn't look as effective. Like, you know, mm. Offense or D, like sick, averaging eight and a half assists. Um, that's that's great. I'm happy. But mm. the rest of his game is just bad. It, but it's, yeah, so yeah, it is bad. And it, it really sucks because he's doing the exact same stuff he does when he's been successful, which is he'll catch the ball at the top of the three-point line and he, he holds it there in a the little passing pocket and he waits for Steph to swing off or Clay to swing off. But as soon as you go from... You're sitting there with like maybe a lob threat in JaVale McGee or Andrew Boger, and you've got two of the best shooters of all time coming off like floppy screens. As soon as you sub out one of those dudes for like Andrew Wiggins and Kelly Oubre, and all of a sudden you're rolling big as Big Jim or Kevon Looney or like, you know, Jordan Poole, who like Jordan Poole's played really well for the past two weeks, nowhere near as great a shooter as any of those guys. And he's definitely going to have his like, he's one of 10 games sprinkled in. It's like you really start seeing like the, the negatives of Draymond come through. So as soon as there isn't a pass there, he has to quickly dribble and like, shit, shit, where's Steph, where's Steph? And he just gets himself stuck in positions. And in their last game, um, I was watching, I can't remember who was, Chicago, like he hit two or three threes. And like after he hit the threes, he was doing that little grunt that he does and like, you know, brings his upper lip up. But it's like, man, you can't do that after hitting three threes against Chicago, possibly the worst defense in the league after they got Vucevic. When it's like you, you're you you're not doing this. This isn't a thing that you do. Like it's literally a fluke, and it's it's really. I don't know if he's gotten worse. I just think that the fact that everyone else has gotten a little bit worse around him, or a lot of it, seems to go from like KD and, and Clay to Jordan Poole and Andrew Wiggins. Everyone else gotten worse has made his game just look very bad. And I, I don't know what to do. Like I said, yeah. Well, I mean, he hasn't shot above thirty. 31% from the field in six years. Um, <laughs> sorry, from, from three in six years. Uh, and, you know, we're now in the third year of the conversation around him being like, well, you know, like if Draymond gets it on track, it's like, well, I think three years is a big enough sample size. And that one defensive player of the year where he averaged like 14 points and shot 38% from three, that that was the fluke year. That wasn't him rising to... Yeah, well, he's a, he's a, career, he's a career 31%. Um, mm you know, three-point shooter. Um, and it and- hurts because you can get away with having one like non-shooter on your team. But when the bigs are Kevon Looney and Big Jim and Big Jim can shoot, but, you know, one a game or 0.5 a game, it's like this isn't working. There's too many holes and Steph has to- And it's incredible how much Steph does carry. Like he's catching all these passes where it's like he ca- he literally catches a flaming bag of shit and then there was this one where um, Tomas Sadoransky's closing out on him and he, he caught up to him because there was no one cared about any of the other players. Steph caught it at his knees, looking down at the three-point line and then just lifted and, and shot it with a dude right on him. And he does that to, to, the, to the tune of plus 16.3 points more per 100 possessions and keeps just keeps bringing us out of the dirt um, and playing with a bruised tailbone, which is like, why the fuck do we have tailbones as humans anymore? Like we clearly got rid of tails years ago. Yeah, like evolution. What are you doing? Like, wait, wait, evolution. Where you at? Um, well, I mean, the uh, 
it's it's interesting like looking at those first two Warriors seasons where it all clicked uh, and you got one championship out of it and then lost in the finals to LeBron. Um, the reserves and role players on that team, like if you stack them up and you look at them individually now, it's like, would you individually take Barbosa, Livingston and, you know, like throw whoever else you want to throw in there Justin. over who? Justin Holiday. Yeah, Justin Holiday. There you go, Justin Holiday, iconic warrior. Um, you know, like the like Iggy in there as well, but like Ubre and Wiggins are like, for all intents and purposes, like good NBA players. And Wanamaker, although he's no longer on the team, last year Wanamaker had was in the conversation to be the best backup point in the league. Like you know, like top yeah, five yeah, or yeah. six certainly. Um, which is probably all that Livingston was at his peak anyway when he was playing. Like, you know, Livingston was averaging like seven, eight points a game. Like, But, you know, he could comfortably come in and run the the second unit along with Iggy. It just doesn't seem like there's been an, um, like a, a crazy, crazy exodus of those top like six or seven dudes. But then you kind of look down the list and it's like, who else is on this team um, you know, if, if if Clay's gone and Draymond's no longer Draymond, like then you get to the swaggy pool and Nico Mannion's a rookie and all these dudes who in the right situation, people have been like, oh yeah, like this guy's a stud, like Eric Pascal, Kent Bazemore, they're fine. They're your ninth, your ninth player. And like when you play against any playoff team in the West, like they, Kent Bazemore is not swinging the game. Like, Eric Pascal is not swinging the game. Like, um, so I, I mean, like it's, it's becoming kind of like more and more clear to me that there's maybe like not an easy fix mm. because with Clay, Dre and Steph, that sounds so weird saying it backwards with Steph, Clay and Dre. <laughs> I never want to say Clay, <laughs> Steph, Clay, Steph and Dre ever again. Right. Um, Steph, you're gone. With, with, with those dudes taking up so much money, you have not a lot of room. Mm. Uh, and your Wiggins contract in there as well. So you're forced to have minimum and like low contract dudes. It's just that where it was Livingston before, now it's, you know, well, well let, let me let me just say if you I've just gone back to the 2014-15 Warriors, sorry, 15-16. If you add up Maurice Spates, Leandro Balbosa, Festa Cezili, Kevon Looney, and Shaw Livingston's contracts, and Andre Agadala, which is a big one there at eleven, uh, and take that away from Andrew Wiggins' contract, you've still got nine million dollars to play with. <laughs> well, and some of that is that Wiggins rookie have, didn't, yeah. We you know, Wiggins wouldn't have been on 30 million a year if he had got his max in 2014 he would have been on like 20 million but mm-hmm. um and 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 that's, that's part of the issue is that Wiggins has actually been good this year compared to I think what a lot of people expected he's not incredible but he's playing decent defense leading uh, on centers and blocks <laughs> had 40 the, points against Memphis and somehow won the game but he's, no, it, it's not. It's I'm grasping its straws. He's shooting high 40s. Like he's shooting like 47, 48 from the field, which once upon a time was unthinkable. And he's I think he's, you know, high 30s as well from three on not a not a an easily dismissible volume either. Um so like I don't know. It's just like he's all shooting, of these He's shooting 40% from three this year. Uh, and can I just add on to that? Like heading into this season, before we knew that Clay was going to get injured, we were like, well, you know, let's just see what Wiggins looks like in a, in a 
in a game with Stephen Clay, like how is it going to open up his game? And it's like, this isn't there to open up his game. Like all the excuses I was making in the off season of like, just wait to see Wiggins in like a spaced out system. Like we shouldn't be seeing an improved Wiggins for all the reasons I was touting in the off season, because this isn't the situation we expected Wiggins to be in. And he has played better than that. Still not a max player though. No, definitely, definitely not a max player. And I mean, all these questions will be answered when we get Clay back next season. And you get to see how does he look next to, you know, like next to Wiggins? How does he open up his game? Um, you know, if Ube sticks around, can Ube get it together? Does big Jim take a big step forward in year two? Like all of those questions will kind of determine the direction that this, uh, you know, that this, this iteration of the team goes in, but man, it's coming dangerously <laughs> close to that precipice where, that idea of riding out into the sunset with with a 34-year-old Steph and a 33-year-old Clay might actually be pushed forward by three years. Like it might not be the 23-24 yeah. season when you're like, let's just run out this 10 seed team and and you know, yeah. like Steph will average 25 and we'll just shower him with love. And, and, and uh, obviously it's gonna be even more important coming up because we've got that Minnesota pick, which we might need to trade or convert into a player. Well, I mean, that's, 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 that's the other thing is like, that's a, a great asset, but you just added the number two pick and he's been shit as a rookie. <laughs> so yeah. if you don't convert that pick or if you do convert that pick and, you know, you get the, you get the number four pick and you get like Evan Mobley from USC or like Jalen Green from the G League and they come in and they're not great immediately it doesn't really help you if yeah, they're going to yeah. be good in their third year yeah. it, they need to be good now um and i think that probably the big gym experience would would you know because he's still got he's still got oodles yeah, of potential yeah, yeah. he's so athletic he's so long he's just got no fucking clue <laughs> um but and, he, he is trying he and it's it's like he's getting really pissed off which you love to see yeah um, I, I mean he he I, I wouldn't be surprised if in three years he's a top six or seven center in the league. Yeah. Um, it's just that that might be too too late for for this team. And there's so many questions like you're not mate, you're not going to be a top six seed again with Draymond averaging six points and shooting yeah. less than forty percent from the field. And if Clay doesn't come back at eighty percent or more, like that's it, like it's done because we're seeing what Steph and a decent collection of like two through six players can do. And this is it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. Well, just to finish up that conversation, uh, Golden State, according to Tankathon, has the fourth easiest strength of remaining schedule. So uh, maybe maybe there's something there. Maybe we've just like backlogged all our bad games and, and we're just going to finish it strong and get the seventh seed. But you were talking about players needing to be good in their first or second years uh, as opposed to their third, fourth, fifth, sixth. And I just couldn't couldn't help but think of uh, of Pat Williams for the Chicago Bulls. Dante, did you want to take that from somewhere? Do I want to take it to somewhere or from somewhere? I mean, just want to just want to use that as a segue to whatever you want to talk about for your next point that you're going to watch for the rest of the season. Well, all right, that's a beautiful segue. Thanks, Sean. <laughs> I actually Hell want okay. to talk about. Patrick Williams' teammate, or his his yeah 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 newly newly added teammate uh, Nikola Vucevic. Uh, the Bulls are zero and two in the game <laughs> since they've era. since they've in the yeah in the Vucevic era. I'm pretty sure they're playing the Suns 
tomorrow. We're recording this on a Wednesday, so playing the Suns on Thursday morning. So hopefully it'll be on three, crossing my fingers. <laughs> um, but I want to talk about the Bulls because they're of of all the teams in the East, maybe except uh, Miami. They made like the these additions at the the trade deadline that are designed to like have an effect right now. They've got an all-star duo now. They've sent out some detritus, some flotsam, and brought back this Montenegrin dude who is just like walking 25 and 10. Um, and I, I watched um I, I watched a little bit of them against the Warriors. I'm not sure if you if you caught that game. And the first quarter and a half was just beautiful watching him on this team because, and they, they, you know, there were quite a few moments where it's clear that the chemistry will get better uh, where they didn't know where to give him the ball or, you know, like waited too long to like hit him for a spot up or, or whatever that'll only improve. But the baseline, like this is the floor. He was unbelievable. He's taking little dudes into the post. He was banging threes. He was pick and popping in the middle of the, you know, in the middle of the floor. Like it was really, really good stuff. Uh, and I think everything that we said on the four man wave the other day, when we discussed this trade is so true that offensively him and Levan are going to be such a special combo, but you look up at the standings and, 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 you know, they're 19 and 26. So they're currently 10th because the East is fucking shit, <laughs> but all this talk about the, the plane, the plane, the plane. Cool. If you can make it to the plane and then you lose one game, you're the 10 seed still. You <laughs> yeah, know? Yeah. If you don't get in, if if you don't get into the playoffs, you still have a 19 and 26 record. So <laughs> the plane is only going to matter, truly matter for about five days. And everyone who spent the whole year being like, bro, we can compete. Trust me. Like we're in the playing spots. Mm. Cool. Only two of those teams are going to get through. And at the moment, guess who's seven and eight? It's the Celtics in the heat. So I know who I'm taking if it's the Celtics versus Bulls for the plane. Um, the well, even is- even the one team behind the Bulls right now is the Toronto Raptors. Like, well, I mean, I mean, the Raptors keep stacking up losses as well. So the Bulls mm-hmm. actually have like a, a two-game advantage over the Raptors. But I'm, I'm just kind of thinking like, all right. <laughs> this looks this looks really good offensively already, but if this doesn't work, if you if it takes another five games to figure this out and you go two and three or one and four, that's it, it's done. And the yeah. clock is ticking because Vujic's only got two years left on his deal after this. So, you know, like it's it, it, it sounds kind of alarmist to be like, whoa, like you've got to get sorted. But like trading two first round picks and a recent first round pick for an all star who's thirty years old, that's a win now move. And now doesn't mean six months from now. It means like now Mm. so we've seen the hawks be in a similar situation where they were struggling heaps below 500 um and and, they didn't make a trade they made a coaching change but they've gone nine and three since then and they're up all the way up to the sixth seed uh and they're only a couple of games back from um you know home court which is currently held by the hornets at four which is just insane um (laughs) anyway like if i haven't already mentioned it before the east sucks yeah um so I'm just kind of like, on the one hand, I'm like enthralled because that 
that glimpse of what this team could look like offensively was really, really cool. And the way that it could all work was really fun. And, you know, dude, you mentioned to segue and Pat Williams, um, Thadjik, they all played really well in that kind of first half of that game. The second half didn't go so well, but um, that's, that's on the one hand, I'm really like, wow, this could be something pretty special. And on the other hand, I'm like, fuck these dudes have much work to do. And they have such a long way to go They're They're currently three and a half games back from the, um, from the Hawks in six, but all of the teams that are in those spots are teams that are also like reason in reasonably hot form in the Hornets, the Knicks and the Hawks. So there's no one in there that's obviously going to like drop away for the Bulls to like step in and replace. And then between them and the Hawks at six is the Celtics hit in the paces. So like the three, four and five seed from last year who for the most part, you know, they've all struggled obviously, but all the dudes that propelled them into the playoffs last year are still there. Um, you know, <laughs> rest in peace, Victor Oladipo. Um, yeah. yeah. So I'm just kind of like, I'm, I'm torn because I want to really get on board, but I'm like, if it, if it doesn't work like soon, <laughs> then it's really time to start thinking about like what, well, what the ramifications are going to be. Well, this is a bit like what I was saying. And obviously I'm very much on either end of the spectrum. I say, well, how are you going to win a championship with this? How are you going to go? Like, you know, are you either going to tank and then get the next five Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons? Or are you like going to actually like really go for it and try and like get this and trade for Kawhi Leonard and win the, win the games, win the championship. Right. And it's like, yes, that's awesome. You can do that. And I'm obviously a little bit spoiled as a Golden State Warriors fan to say, Hey, how are you going to win a championship? Like I'm sitting here with KD, Steph and Clay, right? And then when I say that to someone like last week on the four-man weave where Alessio and you are like, you're not always going to win the championship, Sean. Sometimes you just really need to love like Frank Kaminsky as your backup center. And like sometimes Chris Paul will just get you to the playoffs and you're obviously playing, you, the Phoenix Suns are playing a lot better than you usually would and, and you're playing great this year, right? But like that's that's fine. And I understand that teams like Indiana, like we said last week, just want to like put, put bums in seats and win games. And like that's fine if... If really, if your goal is just to make the playoffs every year and like actually do that, then that's great. But this Vucevic trade is kind of fucking weird because, like you said, yeah, they're tenth, they're nineteen and twenty-six, they're seven games below five hundred, and usually you can be a bit a couple of games below five hundred and still make the playoffs in the East. But like, they're thinking, hey, let's win now. A win now is have a, like a minute chance at beating two play two games in the play-in to then make the playoffs and just get you ask kick by Brooklyn or something, right? And it's like, that is, I understand the the risk reward with like, you know, being Indiana and just being the sixth seed, but the reward of being Chicago and getting the play in to just potentially get eliminated. It's like, if they did this at the start of the season, then I'll talk myself into it more. But the fact that they're already behind the eight ball and they've, they've taken two losses since they've got him, they're really digging themselves a big hole. Um, there's two awesome metaphors behind the eight ball and digging a big hole. <laughs> um, and it's like the, there is so little reward this season for the risk that you're taking in the win now situation. And usually win nows uh, in that Indiana mold are pretty risk-free and just like, yeah, go on, Miles Turner, get your blocks, a bonus, get your 30-30-30 game, right? Like, 30-30-30. What? <laughs> you know, oh my God. exaggerated a bit. Setting the assist record as well. <laughs> 
But like there is there's not much to win here unless he plays next season. But if he plays next season, like you just gave up two second round, two first round picks at the height of this dude's value, um, Vucevic, if he was going to get traded today. Obviously in the off season with only one year remaining, he, he's a lot easier to trade and you probably have to give up a little bit less. Well, I mean, I think that I think you know, in a large part, there they are make this play is for next season and the season after, and it's also play to really entrench Levine there and just kind of say we are surrounding you with other like-minded elite talents. So here you go, resign. We'll give you the max. There you go. But I I like it. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I like it, but it it has to work. I like it on paper and I've, I see I see the value in them being the succeed and maybe you win maybe you win one playoff series in three years, but you're in the playoffs for three straight years. You know, like, cool, you get your second round, you, you, you lose in six in the second round and your organization can be like, damn, we were two wins away from the conference championship and your fans are like, man, that team yeah, was amazing. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's valuable. And especially as someone who, you know, you, you, you kind of mention it, like sometimes you do just have to be like, I'm going to enjoy my team for what it is. I'm, I'm ha- this is the most fun I've ever had as a basketball fan being a Phoenix fan, because I've never ever turned on, you know, the, the TV and expected my team to win. And now I'm expecting them to win every game. And I'm like, no, like, you know, yeah, yeah, the yeah. mistakes that you make inside the last three minutes actually matter now. And so for Bulls fans and the organization, like that's something cool to aspire to. And so I think that's why it's a, why I support the trade, but it has to work. If it doesn't work, you're fucked. But so to bounce off your point you made at the start where it's like, hey, because there was a report from Brian Windhorst saying that Chicago are going to look to aggressively sign um, Zach Levine, like just, you know, renegotiate and extend. That's like if you're New Orleans and you've got Anthony Davis and he looks like he's going to be a Hall of Famer and you're like, oh, we're here to win for you. Here's Omar Rashik and Tyreek Evans, ironic, right? But you say, look, we're here to win for you. We've just spent all this money. We're going to build a team around you because he looks like a Hall of Famer. Zach Levine is maybe the worst all-star on that whole entire all-star roster, right? Like that's not the dude to buy in on. That's you've, you've literally picked the wrong thing to start with and like saying, Hey, Zach Levine, he's this dude. And like Zach Levine's playing awesome right now. Um, but like uh, he's not, he's nowhere near that upper echelon of players or even like if you go to Zion right now and say, Hey Zion, we're going to trade for Bradley Beal. And like, this is going to be your team and let's grow with him. Right. Zion is we can all comfortably say uh, could be a Hall of Famer, and Zach Levine has a slimmer chance of being a Hall of Famer. I just use that you know as just a random metric, but like you you you're betting on the wrong dude right here. There's something like it's the 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 fundamental flaw in like the tank or contender viewpoint in the NBA is 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 that sometimes in order to take a step towards being a contender you have to be in the middle ground like the the warriors weren't the worst team in the league and then steph kerr came along and they steph kerr yeah steph, steve kerr came along and all of a sudden they won the championship and became the the best team that we've seen since the bulls didn't mm. just happen because under mark jackson they were they were a good team they had some good young players they supplemented that by handing out a big free agent contract to iggy um who at the time, you know, you know, the 12, the, the number 12 million means nothing now, but 
in 2013, 12 million was fucking heaps. The salary cap in 2013 was like 68 million or something. So 12 million was like a substantial investment. Um, and no one then was like, oh man, like Iggy is just going to gum up the cap sheets. Team's not ready to compete. Like, you know, if Vooch comes in and makes life easier for everybody else, Levine included, who to be fair, like, you know, he he's improved as a scorer every single year that he's been there, both in terms of volume and efficiency. So there's no reason to think that this is necessarily as good as it gets, like this 25, 26 points a game. Like he, maybe he could step it up another level, especially with Vooch. Maybe Vooch makes it easier for the young dudes who get better and better in the same way that Iggy helped. Um, yeah, so like... Iggy helped the Warriors. And then, and then your, team is, your team is in a better place to compete in two years' time because instead of Patrick Williams being a seven out of 10 because of Vooch and the help that this trade brings, he's a nine out of 10 and Kobe White kind of gets his career back on track and becomes this efficient spark plug scorer that, you know, sometimes he shows the potential of and Lowry marketing sticks around and becomes like an amazing sweet shooting big who, you know, actually is good, which currently is not the case, but you know what I mean? Like you can't like, like if you're not trying to get better, if you're actively trying to get worse, like cool, you strip it all down to the start. You say Zach Levine is not the dude you want to build around. You strip it down, you trade Zach Levine, you get amazing picks. And then what happens next? Like if your picks don't pan out, you're, 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 you're fucked in perpetuity on and on and on and on and on. And there's so much chance in there. So I support, I support them taking a punt on a known commodity they know what they're going to get through two games. He's already, you know, he's averaging 21 and nine. He's playing, you know, playing the same, the same level that he, that he has the whole season. You, you know what you're going to get mm. from him. The wild card is then how does that improve the team and the individual players as a whole? Whereas, you know, if you don't, the wild card is like, well, we've got the fourth pick. And if, if, if it's not, if we don't draft LeBron James, well, we're fucked for the next eight years because we're just going to, being constant like rebuild to a shit level and then tear down and rebuild to a shit level. I'm not necessarily saying trade Zach Levine and I, I do appreciate like making the playoffs with that Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown year is like help them be mature players. And we're not worried about how Jalen Brown's going to play in the playoffs now that they're like expected to go far with him and Jason Tatum and stuff. But like, trade for uh, Daniel Tice like you did and be like, okay, we got a little bit better at the center position. Trade for like a dude like that to help you, like another Thaddeus Young uh, and someone like that or another Garrett Temple. But two first-round picks to get Nikola Vucevic, who is 30 years old, I just I just don't see the same blueprint as a as an Andre Iguodala helping like a clay learn. Not that it's it's easy to replicate. Well, I mean, Garrett, Garrett Temple's great. But you trade for Garrett Temple, you trade for Tice, you sign, you make a shrewd free agency signing for your backup point guard. Doesn't it, 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 there's a limit on how much that can help you? Um, you, you did you just report that like a shrewd backup point guard signing? Is that like some Dennis Schroeder reporting? You heard it here first. <laughs> it's actually not unbelievable if they could make the space to sign Dennis Schroeder. Yeah, well, I mean, like Dennis Dennis Schroeder for Kobe White. There you go. <laughs> um, I, I you, you make moves around the margins, and they're called moves around the margins for a reason. And it's so rare that they work. Iggy yeah, wasn't the, a the move around. Really impacted someone was PJ Tucker for the mid level. 
Well, I mean, Iggy wasn't a wasn't a move around the margins, yeah, and every you know, like like you said, every, every every team that's kind of like put themselves in these spots to um, to compete have to come from somewhere, and they don't come from the bottom. It never happens. So put right. yourself firmly in the middle and hope that your young players can get better and get experience and entrench yourself there. And then it's easier to take the next step up than it is to go from 14th to fifth. The Nuggets did it by being a borderline playoff team two years in a row. And then they jumped up and the experience that they got from that was super valuable. And they handed out contracts to, you know, big contracts to do to, You've since been like, you know, like what, what are we really doing here? Like, but then you, you look at Jokic as like an unknown commodity and like you're like, oh, this dude's really exciting. Can he get better and better and better? I think like looking at buying in with Jokic, he looks like he had a higher ceiling than what Zach Levine does right now. Yeah, yeah it's definitely not an apples to apples you're in terms the wrong of horse, you know what I mean? No, no, but in terms of in terms of it being in terms of it being Jokic, like this guy could be an ascendant MVP candidate. Obviously, no one's saying that about Levine or Vucevic, but in terms of getting the team to respectability and to competitiveness, uh, it's a more solid platform on which to build. And if you know, if you if you become the six seed two years in a row, like those picks don't look so bad because it's the eighteenth, it's the eighteenth pick, and it's like whatever, cool. Like have have fun, Orlando, drafting the next Chumo Kiki. <laughs> um, you know, like the the Mohawkers yeah. Memorial pick. Uh, it's, it's just the, the the. I really want to move on from this conversation, but the one other problem I have with this is yes, like you've drafted Kobe Wright, you've drafted Pat Williams, you've got Larry Markin and Wendell Carter. Like you've done the hard bits of drafting, right? And then you say, all right, now trade for your Andre Iguodala, make the playoffs, build some experience, see who jumps. Maybe like Wendell Carter would be like, you know, for example, or Kobe White becomes that All NBA dude, right? Like maybe that's what's going to happen. But the thing I just also don't like about this is that this is Arturis Karnaschovas' first year. He's inherited this team. He didn't do any of the work to get these guys. And like we, the reason the last front office got fired is because they didn't show enough, show enough improvement and they didn't look like they knew what they were doing. And Karnaschovas comes in and Zach Levine plays a lot better than usual. And he goes, all right, I'm going to buy in on this. Like this isn't his team that he melded together. Uh, and he's just gone, all right, well, let's get that next dude to make the playoff jump to like grow these dudes together, especially when he's come in and, you know, as soon as you get your job, you get a, a GM job or a front office job, you get a bit of a grace period where you can say, hey, let's tank for two years, get this. And I'm not saying that they should tank. I'm just saying that he has the the goodwill as a recent hiree to do whatever he wants with the team. And he's what he wanted to do with the team is what we've just seen, which is buy in on someone else's young core, which the reason that last someone else got fired is because their young core didn't show enough improvement. Yeah. Well, I mean, we don't know that he has, that he, he does have free reign. I mean, like the, Bulls, the owners, not, not exactly the greatest guy in the world. Yeah. It might, might be a mandate from, up top like we have to be competitive quickly and it, it, it wasn't his team he inherited it, but it's his team now that this trade this trade definitively you know said gets rid of that excuse like i didn't draft kobe white that's okay okay why he's shooting 36 percent. like i didn't want him like now it is his team um yeah i mean like i said at the top of this discussion like it has to work 
and if <laughs> and if it doesn't if it doesn't work, then you're you're st- you're still the ten seed. So they've got a long way to go this season. There is something to be said for give them an off season, let them get to know each other, install some sets, get them some actual practice time because a lot of teams aren't practicing very much now with you know three games in four days and that sort of thing. So maybe next season will be better, but they do have, yeah, they do have a long way to go. I, I'm kind of bullish, haha, <laughs> but yeah, I'm kind of oh, not. That's funny. Did you mean that? Yeah, I did. That's why I did like the little haha. Mm. <laughs> yeah. If if this was a four man weave where we had time after the pod, I'll do a ding. Can I just say before we move on, I'll ask you this now, and I'll ask you in six months or whenever the off season is. If you could go back in time and you had the decision to make this trade, would you do it or would you not? I would hope that I would have better judgment than to become the GM of the Bulls. So I would, I'd hope to never be in a position where, I, where my, my best professional course of action was trading the equivalent of three first-round picks and salary for Nikola Vucevic. Anyway, I probably, I probably would because right. what's the alternative? What actually is the alternative with this team? Like, uh, keep winning, think, keep trying to win. Yeah, but well, we're seeing how that's going without you know Vucevic and even with Levine playing at an East All Star level. Like <laughs> 19, 19 and twenty six is nineteen and twenty six. So anyway, enough Bulls. So that's honestly probably the longest we've ever talked about the Bulls by no, no, such a no. substantial. Remember how you and I were talking about the future Eastern Conference Finals, Bulls versus Atlanta Hawks, and we were like, <laughs> oh, where does that East Young fit? <laughs> I actually purged that from my memory, so. <laughs> For some reason, I always remember it. Tobacco companies aren't allowed to advertise anywhere in Australia and a number of other countries. Even if you haven't seen Mad Men yet, you understand why. It's obvious. But it wasn't always this way. Tobacco advertising used to flood Australian sport until the late 1980s. Something that was completely normalized then now seems unfathomable today. Australians lose over $1.2 billion annually by gambling on sport. And it may seem harmless to put a multi on if you think you've got an edge, but what's harmful is the growing normalization of sports gambling and the massive increase in the risk of addiction. What's worse is that these companies are raking in your money, throwing it back into advertising and even targeting children, the next generation of gamblers in their eyes. The gambling industry spends millions on advertising every year to make it look exciting and risk-free often placing their ads in places where they know kids and teenagers will see them the most. Next time you're watching any sport, basketball, footy, tennis, cricket, or anything else, try and see how long you can go without seeing an ad for betting. Now imagine you're a kid watching the game. There's no way to avoid it. A 12-year-old in Australia today has never even seen a professional sports game without gambling advertisements. The answer isn't to ban sports gambling, but there needs to be a change in the way it's advertised. Follow the link in this episode's description or type in endgamblingads.org.au forward slash petition to sign the petition to remove gambling ads from the sports we love and go back to enjoying it without any money on it. Uh, All right, let's move on to my final point, uh, my second point, which is that Zion Williamson is really good. Uh, and now what? Now what do the New Orleans Pelicans do? Because we're seeing all these records he's breaking, and I've put up apostrophes around the records because it's like he's the sixth player since Wilt Chamberlain to score 47 points across six games and shoot higher than 68%. Can you believe it? And it's like, yeah, I know there is this like massive media push behind Zion to be like, he's the next LeBron, but it's like, let's not grab stupid numbers. There are some good numbers there, but let's not grab stupid numbers. If you want only good numbers, 
numbers. You can follow the deep two on Instagram because we do mostly of what the big media outlets do, but we just don't publish stupid stuff um, and not really any rumors. But like New Orleans is like a kid in a candy store or a 17-year-old that just got into the first club where they walk in and they're like, oh, this is so cool. Like, what should I do? What should I drink? What should I dance to? What should I listen to? Like, this is awesome. It's like, oh, my God beautiful people everywhere. This is so cool. I'm such a chuck up a little Instagram story. Like everyone knows I'm clubbing now. This is awesome. I'm 18 years old. And it's like, you've got all these pieces, you've got all these pics, you've got all these young dudes. And it's like, the future is so bright, but they really need to start making decisions. And we saw some decisions start to get made, obviously trading Drew Holiday, which I think we can all agree is the right, the right thing to do. They got an absolute haul in return. Um, and look, you know, a, somewhat negative value contract in Eric Bledsoe, but you know, he's, he's insignificant in the grand scheme of things. They need to decide what they want to do. And with Zion being so incredibly good, like he's, he's averaging 26.4, 7.1 rebounds. He's shooting 62% from the floor and he's taking 8.5 free throws a game, which is like, you know, just incredible. And obviously he's 20 years old and just is built like a brick shit house. Like he is incredible. You love watching him play. I'm not going to talk about Zion. We all know what Zion is, but it's clear that he's incredible in the paint. His t- tiny little three-point range in his in his opening night against San Antonio and a tiny little bit at Duke where it's like, oh my God, what can this dude not do? And it's like, well, I mean, you and I could shoot from the, the college three-point line. Let's not hype that up too much. He can't shoot. He's a great interior presence. He's a bad rim protector. Um, and he is a non-shooter, right? And as I said with the Golden State point, you can get away with one non-shooter in today's NBA. And I think that's been on the court at the one time, and I think that's been the case for the past couple of years. Ever since David West left Indiana, you can really only get away with one non-three-point shooter on, on the court at the one time. So then you say, what do we need to build around this guy, Zion, who's incredible? You need someone who can protect the rim and usually people who protect the rim are big men, which usually can't shoot. So then David Griffin's job is to find this specific skill set, which is shooters who can protect the rim. Now, I'm not going to say the MT word, which is Miles Turner. I'm not going to say that. I think that's in the past and was a missed opportunity, which I talked about for many podcasts and even wrote an article about. But David Griffin needs to seriously build around Zion Williamson because it's nice to have like, oh, what's Lonzo Ball doing? That's awesome. He's like, you know, he makes the right pass. And I'm sort of sick of watching New Orleans games and hearing every away commentator say that. It's like, Brent Negro, most improved player, awesome. How high can he go? And it's like, I don't know, how high can Zach Levine go? And then it's like Stephen Adams, you know, he brings grit to this team. Well, you know, JJ Reddick brought grit and then he was about to get bought out. It's like, Sorry, by grit, I mean veteran leadership. Stephen Adams does. Yeah, I was going to say, is is JJ Redick (laughs) the guy that we think of when we're like, this guy is gritty? (laughs) But you you really need to start to think about optimizing this team because Zion is really good. And I don't mean in a New Orleans way surrounded with Omar Ashik and Tyreek Evans. I mean, like, you know what Zion's good at. He's getting better and better every day. And let's quickly build around him why, while he is this incredible thing that like Dwight Howard's peak only lasted till he was like 26. So maybe your timeline is five years, not till Zion's 30. Like we've seen what happens with guys in his mold like Blake Griffin. Like, yeah, it's about 25, 26. And then they start to not dunk until they get to Brooklyn and dunk in their first game once they've been bought out. It's like, how can we do this and how can we build around Zion? Because I don't think there is as much time on New Orleans hands as like everyone seems to think there is. 
Yeah, and I mean, like, some of the pieces here are just, like, not what you would do. And we kind of talked about Stephen Adams in the offseason um, as not the right player for, for this team. Um, the one thing that I would say, you mentioned that, you know, David Griffin has the, the, the task now of finding someone who can defend the rim inside in a way that Zion can't, but not gum up things too much on offense so that Zion can kind of have free reign in the paint. Um, and those dudes are really hard to come by, but, you know, with, with all the picks that they got for AD and... Um, they could literally point and say, yeah, we want him. Here's 50. Yeah, I mean, like, he, yeah, matching salary in three first rounders. Like, you, you can afford to overpay when you've got as many picks as they do. But, I mean, mm-hmm. like, some of the, you know, talking talking again about moves around the margins, but they had Derek Favors last year who is as good as, if not better, a rim, you know, a rim protector than um, Stephen Adams is. And he's earning half as much. Derek Favors, you know, went back to Utah on the full mid-level, which is about half as much as what Adams is earning. And on a per-minute basis, is outproducing him this season, and it's not even close. And they had that dude, yet they chose to bring in Adams, who's... And gave up a pick for Adams. Yeah, well, Adam, Adams, is, Adams is a good interior presence in that he's fucking massive, but he's not a shot blocker. Mm. Um, and... Part of the reason why their defense is so bad on the inside is because he's playing 30 minutes a game. Zion's playing 30 to 35 minutes a game. So you're pretty much, you know, for two thirds of the game, your front court rotation, neither of them know what they're doing. In, neither of that, that's harsh. Like, neither of them are effective interior defenders in, in the way that you really need someone to anchor. Um, and obviously Jackson Hayes is, is a shot blocker, but he's so far been pretty average both on offense and defense. And, and you know, you see the highlights um, of him dunking and him sending it into the third row. But, you know, he really is a player more in the the mold of a Hassan Whiteside, at least on defense, where, cool, you're, you're blocking so many shots a game. But seven times a game, you take yourself out of defensive rebounding positioning because you chase blocks. Um, or you leave the leave the rim open because you get pump faked, you know, you're, you're in the air when the, the dude goes by you. So the draft picks... And the veteran acquisitions haven't really worked. And if Lonzo leaves this offseason, then you're kind of looking at this roster being like, okay, so Bledsoe and then what? Nikhil Alexander-Walker and then Josh Hart's a free agent. And, you know, listening to Zach Lowe and Bobby Marks a few days ago, they were saying that they think that his market's going to start at the full mid-level, so $9 million again. So you're going to give Josh Hart four years 40 and give Lonzo four years 75 whilst you're paying Bledsoe 16 and Adams 18. And then you're and quickly Ingram, locked into this team. Ingram, you're paying Ingram the max already, and then like that's your team. It's literally just the same team. As the uh, Lakers in 2014. <laughs> well, I mean, the same team, yeah, same team as, as, as kind of what they bought over in the training. Like, like that's what what they're looking at and Adams is an immovable contract so he's gonna be there. Mm. Um you could you could sniff around Ingram, but you wouldn't be getting a player as good in return if you wanted to move him out. And then if you did move him out, um, you know, you set yourself back by two years. You hope that you can develop a player or draft a player that develops into as good as he is. The the well, long and short of it. The long and short of it is that um 
you know, Griffin in Phoenix and um, Cleveland was one of the best GMs in the league. And since coming to New Orleans, he's kind of fucked it a little bit. Yeah. I mean, he's got heaps of picks, so we'll judge judge at the end by what he does with the picks. Like, obviously, like, he didn't trade Drew Holiday for Eric Bledsoe. Yeah, yeah. You know, he traded him for the picks in the pick swap. So if the 2022 pick that they get from Milwaukee turns into the next LeBron James, like, all right, cool. He's, he's a G again. But in terms of assembling a team right now, some of it he hasn't had control over because he inherited, you know, a team like Bledsoe. You had to bring him in with the, the trade to get all those picks for Holiday. But then... You know, like 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 I say, like the decision to let Favors walk uh, and trade for Adams and extend him could have just not extended him. Could have well, traded well, pick for Adams, see how it goes, and then you, you you see this year that it's not working, and you're like, okay, cool. Well, at least now we're not locked in for another eighteen million over two years. You know, well, he, yeah, he's, sorry, he's done, a, he's done a good job yeah, when it comes to the trades, but he hasn't done a good job, uh, like you just said finding guys for right now and evaluating centers. Cause yes, he had Derek favors. He had the one in the hand. Then he went for the two in the bush, which wasn't actually two in the bush. It was one in the bush. And then it was he got the Stephen Adams in the bush. There was also like Miles Turner was readily available to be traded last off season. Uh, and if all it took was Gordon Hayward and a bag of peanuts, I'm sure New Orleans could have done something there with one of their picks. And then you also forget that when David Griffin came in, he had Christian Wood on his roster and then he waived him. Uh, after well, I mean, the- I'm not going to go in too hard on, on anyone because if you use I that was, same... I was, I was you- saying, look at this dude. He's getting like 50 blocks a game and he's he's beaten DeMontis Sabonis' assist record of 30. <laughs> If, if that's the standard, then like literally every GM, like 14 of the 30 GMs failed. Yeah, Chris Boucher so, played for the Warriors last season. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's actually yeah. been heap, heaps of blokes that have come through the Warriors, you know, and like the Warriors them. G League that have, that have actually turned out to be okay. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, like, you know, that that, that is what it is. And, and some people like, you know, would uh, Sam Presti have made those mistakes? Like, no. Like if Christian Wood was on the Thunder – he's probably still in the thunder because they oh, just he is Moses Brown. <laughs> yeah. Well, they literally just turn up these dudes. Yeah. He yeah. like Sam Presti just gets like his G league pickaxe over his shoulder and like walks down to the G league mine every day and just like hacks away chunks of rocks. And then he's like, Oh, look, I found a Ken Rich Williams. I'm going to bring you back to the team. You also used um, to play for New Orleans. Yeah. Well, there you go. Um, anyway, no, there you go. <laughs> Yeah, there I there I go. <laughs> Watch yeah, me go. No, I, it, I I think insofar as what he what Griffin has been able to do and what he's decided to do has to build a team game. right now, because it's not like they're not like they're sitting back and saying like, "Oh, we'll just wait for those picks to come in." Like they are they 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 brought in Sam Van Gundy to be a playoff team this year. It has not worked. Stan Van Gundy deserves some of the blame for that because they've been just as bad, if not worse as last year when, uh, you know, my man Alvin Gentry was the head coach. And Griffin also deserves some of the blame because you're looking at what's happening now and you're saying like, this is not working because not only does Adams not protect the rim, but he doesn't do anything on offense except set hard screens and offensive rebound. And if Adams is in there for offensive rebounding, um, you know, cool. That's just a position. That's just a skill set redundancy because Zion's such a good offensive rebounder. And it means Adam's defender is in the paint um, when Zion's going. Not that that seems to stop him, but it just it hasn't really clicked. And I'll tell you what, 
if they keep Josh Hart, which they they probably should because he's he's a really good reserve. He's good at Fortnite. Um, he's good at basketball too. He's good at rebounding. <laughs> if um if they keep Josh Hart and they end up matching whatever silly contract Lonzo gets from the Knicks, then we're f- very very quickly locked into this team. And yeah. Adams is signed for two more years at eighteen per. I think Bledsoe has next year at sixteen on his deal as well. Ingram and then Zion will be up for a max at the end of next season as well, which he'll get immediately. So and and right now they're four games under five hundred. So maybe they should have traded for Nikola Vucevic. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe maybe they should have. The other the other thing as well is it's, it's not like the Bulls where you're like, oh, like you know, the other teams ahead of us are shit as well. Like maybe <laughs> we could go on a run. It's like yeah. the teams that are directly above them, like we'll exclude the Kings because you know Kang's going to Kang's. Um, but it's Warriors, then Grizzlies, who look like they're really going to be good soon. The Spurs, like whatever. And then from seven onwards, these teams are all either young and good or established and good and going to be good for the next three years. So like the Pelicans realistically like, they, you know, they, what, they, what? they need to find a way to change conferences. They take geographically, they're on the Eastern side of America. It's weird that they get cooed into the right um, west. <laughs> um, the right they, conference. They need, they need to find a way to get out of the west. That uh, that's the fix. That's the fix there. Well, if Seattle comes in mm. in the west, I think Memphis is actually the the easternmost, leftmost, <laughs> the, the no the the rightmost left and conference team. So. <laughs> Uh, New Orleans would be then on the outside looking in again. Anyway, it's just like this team is either going to get very expensive very quickly to not be very good. And there's a world in which in two years, like you're still the nine seed. And like I said earlier in the show, that the plane is amazing because now everyone's like, oh, like we're one game back at the plane. And it's like, sick. You lose in the plane, you're still the 10 seed. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. 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 All right. Um, Let's move on to a little bit of news where we've gone way over time. Is we've gone way over time, but uh, just quickly run through that. Andre Drummond is signed with the Lakers per Adrian Wojnarowski. Also from Adrian is Jeff Teague signing with the Milwaukee Bucks. And then let's just say a couple of words from a report from Howard Beck of Sports Illustrated saying that some anonymous small market executives have complained about the rise of the buyout market. Uh, this is obviously just completely stymied any trade value. Blake Griffin, Andre Drummond, or the Marcus Aldridge would have had this year. And in past years, because now teams are looking at it and saying, hey, instead of trading $25 million worth of salary for these dudes, why don't we just try our luck in the buyout market? I spoke about this last week on episode 100, yay go us, that the Denver Nuggets are sort of cramped into saying, hey, well, we don't want to like have to compete with the Lakers to get, not that they would actually legally be allowed to sign JaVale McGee, but we don't want to compete with in the buyout market to get JaVale. Let's trade a second round pick, like an actual asset to get this dude who's just going to be a backup. And there was one more name, but I can't remember who it was. What are your thoughts on these small markets bitching and complaining about not being able to sign their 11th men? Well, I, I think the reason why, like, the market's oldest trade value was tanked is because he's been shit. And <laughs> because no one wants to pay, you know, it's not, not because, like, everyone's waiting around in the buyout market. And, you know, Boston really wanted Andre Drummond and didn't get him because if you trade for him, you guarantee that you get the player. So, you know, otherwise you, if he gets bought out, you go into the lottery of eight teams that that want to bring him in. And on the small market, big market, it's not a small market, big market, it's contender, non-contender. And yes, it is easier to build a contender in a 
big market, but like Andre Drummond's not going to LA for four months because he's like, man, I love the LA lifestyle. I really want to get out there. Like it's fucking COVID. Like he's going to LA for four months because he thinks he can win a ring with LeBron. He's going to then leave and go wherever the fuck offers him the most money. Um, just like people aren't going to Milwaukee because they're like, wow, I love Milwaukee. What a beautiful city. They're going there because it's like Giannis, I'm going to ride this dude's coattails to the NBA finals and get a ring. I mean, the most impactful buyout dudes in the last five, six years is Ersan Ilyasova and Marco Bellinelli, uh, you know, three or four years ago in Philly. Philly is definitely like a big market, but like no one, no one is like, you know, like this guy, like he wants to get you into the sponsorship and media opportunities in Philly, you know, like it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's not stratified through big little. If Mm. Memphis was really fucking good and they were the third seed and Ja Morant was averaging 25 and eight and people were like, big men were like, wow, like I see what, you know, Valentunas is doing with Ja Morant. Like, imagine if I was there, like I'd get like, you know, spoon fed, easy buckets, like yada, yada, yada. They'd go. It's just that as it's currently constituted, LA is better than Boston. Hence why people are going to LA over Boston. And, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, well put. And in the report, Bobby Marks says that the Milwaukee Bucks are the team who has signed the most bought out players since 2015, uh, Milwaukee Bucks, as you so eloquently put, Dante, is not the biggest market in the NBA. Um, yeah, I think this is just a, a wider conversation about why big markets are better teams. And this is just like all the way down the line of, oh, they get the buyout, dude. Just like, yeah, well, maybe like their money means more. Let's let's just focus on the big things at the top of why big markets are, are winning more basketball games than small markets. This is a, a minute point. Uh, was there anything else you wanted to add, Mr. Buffer? I think, Sean, we've said it all. We've said it all and some, haven't we? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we have a laugh, don't we, Dante? Anyway, oh. thanks for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Sean. Ah!